We discovered that there were secrets that your body was trying to tell you that could really help you optimize performance. But no one could monitor those things. And that's when we set out to build the technology that we thought could really change the world. Welcome to the Whoop Podcast. I'm your host, Will Ahmed, founder and CEO of Whoop, where we are on a mission to unlock human performance. At Whoop, we measure the body 24-7 and provide analytics to our members to help improve performance. This includes strain, recovery, and sleep. Our clients range from the best professional athletes in the world to Navy SEALs to fitness enthusiasts to Fortune 500 CEOs and executives. The common thread among Whoop members is a passion to improve. What does it take to optimize performance for athletes, for humans, really anyone? We're launching a podcast to dig deeper. We'll interview experts and industry leaders across sports, data, technology, physiology, athletic achievement, you name it. When I founded Whoop, I didn't know exactly where it would take me, and hosting a podcast was certainly not one of the first things on my mind. In the process, though, I've gotten to interact with amazing athletes, advisors, investors, and had some really fascinating conversations. And that was a lot of the inspiration for starting this podcast. I think there's something about this format, this type of conversation, that really allows you to delve deeper. My hope is that you'll leave these conversations with some new ideas and a greater passion for performance. With that in mind, I welcome you to the WHOOP podcast. I can see objective measures of my athleticism continue to improve at the age of 61. I was doing an interview uh, two years ago and I said, I promise I will be fitter in a year than I am today. And and it was true and I'm now fitter at 61 than I was at 60 and I'll be fitter still at 62. Hello folks, welcome to the fourth episode of the WHOOP podcast. A happy new year to all of our listeners. Uh, Today's guest is Strauss Zelnick, founder of the private equity firm Zelnick Media Capital, president and CEO of Take-Two Interactive, the company behind blockbuster video games like Grand Theft Auto and NBA 2K, and recently named chairman of CBS. Strauss has had an incredible career, but I think what's also amazing is just how fit he is. At age 61, he's in the best shape of his life. He's exercising 10 to 14 times a week, and he plans to keep getting fitter as he gets older. For those of you looking for a little New Year inspiration, I think Strauss is your guy. We talk about all the things that he does to balance being a super successful, high-powered executive and being really fit. We talk about what a typical week of workouts is like for him, improvements he's made to diet and nutrition, his recovery tactics, what he believes in and what he doesn't, uh, and all the things that he does to combat the aging process. I hope you'll get as much out of this discussion as I did. Strauss has been a close friend and a mentor for a long time. Without further ado, here's Strauss. Strauss, thanks for doing this. Pleasure. So... I want to talk about uh, your new book, Becoming Ageless. I want to talk about your amazing career in entertainment and business. But I thought first for our audience, it would be helpful to just talk about a week of exercise in the life of Strauss Zelnick. Well, um, I'll answer the question, but this is not by way of advocating or, um, or anything of the sort. You know, look, I try to train six days a week. I also try really hard to take a rest day. Within that six days, if it's a really busy week, and it can be, 
uh, I might have one relatively short workout a day. And if it's a great week, I have plenty of energy and plenty of time, maybe I'll, I'll do two a days, three or four days in the week. So in the course of a week, I typically will train somewhere between seven and 10 times, including one full rest day. And I believe in diversity. I also get bored if I'm, if I'm not trying different right. things. So within that, I'll train with a trainer once or twice. That'll be lifting weights, rhythmic exercises, um, full body exercises, cardio exercises, depending on the mood of the trainers. And then I train with, with the program, which is, a, you, you know well, is a morning uh, group that gets together three or four mornings a week here in New York and does something different every day. And this week, for example, um, we, we weren't working out on Tuesday, but last Tuesday we did hot power yoga. Uh, Wednesday we went to Swerve and did an indoor cycling class. Today we did a high-intensity interval training session at Trooper Fitness. And tomorrow we'll get together in a private gym and do another timed interval weights workout. In addition to that, I, I play squash, or I'm trying to play squash. <laughs> I, uh, I train at a boxing gym, Mendez Boxing. Then I also lift weights on my own or with friends. Um, and I'll try new things, happily. I'm re- very open-minded. Well, as some background, we met six years ago. I had just graduated from Harvard, and I was starting WHOOP, and I was meeting with people in New York, and I remember a number of people said, oh, if you're doing anything related to health and fitness, you have to go meet Strauss. And so you were, uh, you were very kind to take me uh, for workouts, and I remember the first workout that we did together, I think it was this hot yoga class, and I was like six months out of being a college athlete. You know, you were in your mid-50s at the time, and, and I think you kicked my ass in that <laughs> class. So uh, you've managed to stay incredibly fit throughout your life, and it's a real testament to your commitment. One thing that we bonded over was the book uh, Younger Next Year. Tell me why that, that was an important book for you. I, Younger Next Year is really intended for people in their 60s. And the idea of, of the book is it's co-written by a, a casual athlete and a doctor. And it's a prescription for reversing some of the signs of aging in your 60s. Well, I didn't read it in my 60s. I read it when I was in my late 30s. And I consider myself pretty healthy and pretty fit. And I read the book and it was transformative because basically what the book said is, is everything you know to be true. You should move for 45 minutes or an hour, six days a week. You should eat a healthy diet. You should probably not drink too much alcohol. You should for sure not smoke. And if you do those simple things, then you are not only going to likely increase your lifespan, much more importantly, you'll increase your health span. And that was an eye-opener because I was never really focused on how long I live. Oh, and by the way, research says that you can eat a phenomenally strict diet. You can get lots of exercise and not smoke. On balance, you'll extend your life, but probably only by a few years. The, the question is, what does late life look like? Right. And how do you want to live that late life? We're all going to, God willing, we're all going to get there. Younger Next Year says, for those who think, you know, your, your quality of life is a bell curve, you know, it peaks in your late 20s and it's a, a decline to, and, and the end really doesn't look good. Uh, that is true for certain people, but it's optional. And, uh, and, and what Younger Next Year says is you can live like a middle-aged person until a year or two before you die. Uh, and then the last year or two is probably not nice for anyone. Um, and that's probably a separate topic. But that was really an eye-opener for me. I was probably one of the first 21-year-olds to read that book, and I was doing research for Whoop at the time, but I had the same reaction that you did, where it's just if you, if you have the right habits and you do that for a long time, 
you can in, indeed just continue to feel better and better over time. Right, and I think I don't, look, it's, it's tempting to be flattered and flatter oneself, but you know, my approach in my book is not about you know, how, how awesome do I look, how youthful do I appear, how hard do I train, how clean do I eat. My book and my approach is a simple, gentle, long-term approach to trying to be sensible about your health, your diet, your fitness, and some sense of tribe or spirituality or soul, whatever works best for you, is a recipe for a, a good life, and that good life is not time-limited. And that, that to me is um, what I do. I, if I stand for anything, I, I would hope what it stands for is not, wow, that guy looks great, because that'll change, by the way, no matter... I wish it won't, but it probably will. Um, but what, what I hope it stands for is that person was not limited by uh, something he couldn't control. You know, I can't control my age. So we're talking about your book, Ageless, The Four Secrets to Looking and Feeling Younger Than Ever. What, uh, what inspired you to put this book out in the first place? Uh, Dave Zizenko, who is my publisher, um, uh, encouraged me. It didn't really, I really didn't have the view uh, that it was a good idea at all. Um, <laughs> I do spend a lot of my time coaching people, usually early in their career, and I spend a lot of time training. And I, I train with people who are in their 20s because I aspire to train that way. And I'm, you know, more, more or less I do, actually. Um, and, and he thought that there was a story that should be told. Um, we, we had to find the right tone because I was not comfortable with the tone of many fitness books that basically you have on the cover, you know, your, your best body in three weeks, you know, right. lose 14 pounds in 14 days. Right. You know, they, they, they may sell, but they're, they're not real. Well, one thing that I really liked about your book is, you know, you walk through, no matter what stage you are in your level of fitness, the, the steps that you need to take. And you actually make it fairly clear that it's not that easy. You have to, you know, create a lot of commitment. And you talk about um, compounding health in the book. What does compounding health mean to you? Compounding health for me is I didn't pay any attention to what my doctor said about my cholesterol levels for a long time. And I, my attitude was, look, you know, I get a good deal of exercise. I'm not heavy. I don't smoke. It'll be fine. And that is a really foolish way to look at the world. Uh, I... I am compounding my health now, or at least trying to, by taking my doctor's advice, and I take some drugs that manage my cholesterol, and I try to manage my diet as well. And there's some evidence that it's possible to reverse at least some of the damage that a less healthy diet and a, you know, an unwillingness to take appropriate medication caused. So now I may look good on the outside. I hope I do. Um, but my arteries probably aren't in the shape that they would have been in had I listened to my doctor when I was in my 30s. You know, you, you're very honest in the book about how in your 30s, uh, you know, you were more career-focused than you were health-focused. You were working at a, you know, a few times a week, but certainly not on the level that you are today. Uh, your diet wasn't in the same place that, that it is today. But at the same time, at age 32, you're taking over uh, Century Fox and rapidly growing um, the worldwide motion picture and distribution business there. And, you know, that requires a lot of dedication. It's not, it's not an easy thing by any measure. And you were very young when you did it. 
So the question is, like, what, what advice do you have to other young people, you know, late 20s, early 30s, maybe even mid to late 30s, who are really career-focused, not necessarily as focused on their health, um, but want to start making shifts? Well, and the first piece of advice is it's uniquely American fantasy that we can have it all. We have right. to choose. And there are times in your life when you have time and ability and inclination and resources and other times when you don't. And I would say when you're in your early 30s and you have a, a new job or a very intense job and maybe a couple of kids running around at home and a marriage and maybe you don't have excess funds, um, you are more constrained than you know the stage I'm at now where my kids are out of the house and you know, I, I have, I, I'm blessed materially and I run my own business. I have a good deal of flexibility. Um, that said, we can make choices at any given time. So if you're in your 30s, ask yourself, how much time am I spending drinking? How much time am I spending watching television? You know, how much time am I spending playing games on my phone? All these things can have a place in a, in a normal, moderate life, if, if you wish. But you should think about sort of a time engagement diary. People talk about food right. diaries, but do a time engagement diary. How are you devoting your time? So when people say to me, well, sure, you, you, you have a lot of flexibility. You could work out for an hour a day or two hours a day. That is true. Um, but ask yourself, how am I devoting my free time? And yes, absolutely right. If you're working 14 hours a day and taking care of kids and taking care of a household, you, you may not have the time to get exercise. But ask yourself, could I get exercise on Saturday and Sunday? That would be two days a week. That is better than zero. Well, you make a good point in the book about people asking the wrong question. You know, often people start with this question of how. Uh, you know, how do I lose 10 pounds or how do I lose 40 pounds? And you, you think the right question to ask is, um, what, what do I want? Talk a little bit about that. Well, I'm pretty sure uh, I must have asked you that question when we started talking about your career. Yeah. You did. Because it is the first question I always ask people. You know, it's tempting when you're giving advice of any sort to project yourself onto the other person. Uh, but why on earth would I project myself onto you? I mean, I have, your needs and desires and goals are, are almost certainly very different than mine. So I think the starting point is, what, what is it that you want? For some people, um, what they want is to look a certain way. Uh, for many people, it's to feel a certain way. And my wife, for example, and my wife looks great. She's genetically, actually genetically blessed. You know, she looks fantastic. But as it happens, that's not really a value of hers. She's the least vain person I know. She doesn't wear makeup. You know, her idea of dressing up is uh, denim overalls and a T-shirt. That's how she's happiest. That's how she's wired. You know, I am not, I'm sorry, I'm just not that good a person. <laughs> I am a little more vain than that. So her, her goals when you get into the area of health and wellness would center much more around what do I have to do to be able to ride, you know, ride horses? What do I have to do to be able to ski and not get hurt? What do I have to do to, to not be bent over when I get older? And what do I have to do to have good health so I'm not sick and infirm? For someone like me, it's, you know, what do I have to do to train like a 25-year-old former varsity athlete? And for other people, it may indeed be, you know, I want to look good with my, with my shirt off um, or some combination. You have to ask yourself what it is that you want. And for some people, you can... You, there are other starting points like, what do I really want? I really want to quit smoking. And by the way, that is the best thing you can do for yourself. So anyone smoking, newsflash, you should not smoke. Um, there's a longitudinal study that Harvard now owns called the Terman Study. Harvard actually has this massive 
database of longitudinal studies that are available to researchers. Far and away, the primary factor in having a short, unpleasant life is smoking. And second, on the heels of that, is alcohol abuse. Good advice. Uh, Strauss, tell me about the program which you started. Well, I, it, the program, it's tempting to say I started, but it was, it was not intentional. By the way, the name of the program is sort of supposed to be tongue-in-cheek. Um, <laughs> the program grew organically. A couple of, of guys and I were cycling in the park in the mornings, and I, I'd grown to love cycling because it was social. It was a way to exercise and have fun and catch up with friends. Which is a theme and, of yours, by the way. Yeah, it's, it's a big theme because I'm busy. Right. You know, I, work, I do work hard. Um, I'm, I'm certainly not retired. I have a family. Uh, my kids are around, th- thankfully. Um, my wife and I like spending time together. I have a lot of interests uh, and a lot of charitable commitments and a lot of work commitments. Um, so I found that if I, you know, if I got on a bike, I could sort of let go of all that. You can't be on your device on a bike, or at least you shouldn't be. And I was with my friends. Well, the weather turned cold, and one of my buddies said, let's do an indoor cycling class. And, and my attitude was, oh, God, no, that sounds horrible. And he said, no, no, you should. We'll do it. And we went to Flywheel, and I loved it. It was great because you could, unlike some indoor cycling, you could measure what you're actually doing. There's a leaderboard, so it was a little bit competitive. So a few of us started going. And we, it was sort of an eye-opener that you could get up early in the morning, which was a pain, but get together, exercise hard for 45 minutes, spend some time with friends, and you'd feel great for the whole day. And that was how the program began. We just kept adding people and adding days and it turned into kind of a, an organic thing. It's still relatively disorganized. It's an email list. There's no money involved. And the key thing is the attitude. It is not, you know, bro-y and alpha male-y. First of all, it's co-ed. Secondly, it is highly inclusive. And third, while I would say most of us feel competitive with ourselves and occasionally competitive with each other, we're just trying to be the best we can be. Now, I was at a, a program workout this morning, and there was a 40, it was 45-second intervals, and one of the exercises was to pull yourself up to a pull-up bar, chin over the bar, and hang for 45 seconds. Now, it may sound easy to you. I'm here to tell you, at least for me, not so easy. And there were four circuits. And the first one, I failed at least twice, where I went down and came back up. And uh, one of my buddies in the section was encouraging me. And he said, don't worry, you'll get it next time. And and I, I thought to myself, you know, it was just a flash because you're exercising, you're yeah, sweating. I thought, no, no, that's not, I'm, that's not true. And then I realized, wait, um, why am I allowing my mind to tell my body that? I'm just going to do it. And I did do it the next time. Nice. So he was not focused on dominating, winning, and saying, see, I did that and you didn't, even in a subtle way. His, his entire focus was, ah, well, Strauss is struggling a bit here. Let me encourage him. And that's what's, to my way of thinking, like that's what makes a program really special. And no one has to be told. It self-selects to people who feel that way. And then that, I think it affects your entire life during the day. You know, approaching your life in a, and the people around you in a positive, uh, sort of in a positive uh, demeanor. Yeah, the positive camaraderie that you describe about the program is awesome. And it also reminds me of some of those classes that we would go to when I was in my early 20s. And, you know, I'd be surrounded by other 20-year-olds and we'd all be kind of encouraging each other and, and trying to take you down. So it seems really... <laughs> How'd it go for you? Uh, I think fine. I think I kept up <laughs> No, I meant trying to take me down. Oh, I think, I think that uh, most of the workouts we did, you beat up on me. <laughs> but I'm still trying to get younger next year, too. So um, I'm catching up. Talk to me a little bit about how you think about measuring fitness over time. You know, how, how do you have this internal concept that you're getting fitter? 
you know, there's certainly ways to look at yourself in the mirror. There's, there's things like you describe your weight and your height and, you know, 8% body fat, right? Like, are those some of the key biomarkers for you? Or what are the things that, you know, if you do over time, reoccurring tests, you name it? Well, the most pedestrian level, we post progress pictures online. The program has an Instagram site. That's great. You know, the program underscore NYC. And we, we post pictures, and most of us aren't wearing shirts. So you do get to see the progress pictures, if you care. Um, my wife finds that incredibly irritating and inappropriate. Uh, I go to the doctor, and the doctor tells me how my numbers are developing, and I get very robust blood tests regularly. Um, and I can tell how I perform. For example, in yoga, it's kind of you to say that six years ago I was, I was decent at it. I, I mean, I, I, no one wants to, you know, take a video of me doing yoga and try to replicate the situation. Uh, I don't recommend that, and, and I don't know that it would be weird to look at. But I'm vastly more competent than I was, and that's subjectively true. So I can hold poses that I couldn't before and get into poses that I couldn't before. And I can do a box jump, not the highest box jump in the class, actually, which really high, but I can do a pretty high box jump. And when I started training with the program, you know, seven, eight years ago, I couldn't even do a low box jump. I psychologically didn't, couldn't even understand how one did a box jump. So I can see objective measures of my athleticism continue to improve at the age of 61. I was doing an interview uh, two years ago, and I said, I promise I will be fitter in a year than I am today. And, I, and it was true, and I'm now fitter at 61 than I was at 60, and I'll be fitter still at 62. My boys, I have, I have two sons, and one of them said, Dad, you know, you understand that in 10 years that's not going to be true anymore. I said, just watch. It will be. It will be. I'm absolutely going to do that. Well, it's an amazing mindset. Um, have you done specific fitness tests? So you talked about being able to do a box jump. One test I got into recently is called the MRF. Have you ever done the MRF? I have not done the MRF. I know what the MRF is. So for our listeners, you, you run a mile and then you do uh, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, and 300 air squats, and then you run a mile. And the idea is to see how fast you can do it. Or even in the first place, can you do it? Um, And for me, like naturally doing pull-ups was always hard. So over the past six years, I've just gotten really into pull-ups. And so the concept now that I can do 100 pull-ups is pretty awesome. But it goes back to your point. Like in college, I was fit, you know, especially cardiovascularly. But over time, if you commit to these new things about your body, you can really make enhancements. Yeah, and pull-ups are a great example. I don't remember how many strict pull-ups I could do when I started training in a more robust way, but I, I know what I can do now, and it's certainly more. Um, and I mean, I can do, and it's not that big a number. I mean, I, I can do, I think, 21 to 23 strict pull-ups when I'm fresh, you know, without, awesome. without resting. When people say to me, I've had people say, I can do 50, and I'm uh, Which is straight? Well, I, exactly. I want to say, please show me. And it's like, well, they're kipping pull-ups. It's like, and a kipping pull-up is also a cheating pull-up. Um, so I can, I, I do see um, measures of improvement, but you have to care about this stuff. A lot of people don't care about that. Thing. That's true. So too. The question is, should you be forced to care about stuff you don't care about? Absolutely not. But if you want, if you want to live an ageless life, you do have to make sensible choices on the four pillars, in my opinion, on, you know, your health, your diet, your fitness, and some life outside of your small shell of actions and interests. Now, for someone who exercises, you know, 10 to 14 times a week, 
Um, have you had any issues with injury? Very little, re remarkably little. Part of it is that I was not a varsity athlete in high school and college, and I, so I didn't get beaten up. Right. I think for a lot of people who suffer at my age, they played really tough sports, and, and they may have issues that are you simply have to work around. But because I was really focused on being a student in those days, not an athlete, and because I was so fearful about trying things outside of my comfort zone, um, and I don't advocate this, but as it happens, I didn't beat my body up. So now I'll tweak certain things if I overdo it, if I fail to recover. It's one of the reasons I, I take a rest day every week is to make sure that I do have an opportunity to recover. Um, but I'm very fortunate. I don't have any, I don't have any limitations. Occasionally I tweak a shoulder. And then I, I immediately go to a chiropractor and I get it worked on. If you, if you don't, you, bad things happen. What, what does recovery mean for you? For me, it's just taking, truly taking a day off. Um, when you talk to intense athletes, um, not, not professional athletes. Professional athletes understand recovery, or they can't be professional athletes. But when you talk about intense, casual athletes, um, a lot of them take great pride in, you know, I train every day, I train hard every day. And you say, well, don't you recover? Yes, I recover. Then I only run like 10 miles. And, right. Or, you know, I uh, do a really intense yoga class. That's my idea of recovery. I don't buy that. For me, recovery is a day off. No movement, nothing. Your body needs to recover if you're training hard. Well, one thing we've seen at WHOOP is that professional athletes, um, a lot of what differentiates them is rate of recovery. Yeah. And that is as big a focus as exercise. And you definitely see a shift going that way. Yeah, I actually have, um, I have one thing going for me. In fact, I do have the ability to recover very easily. And Seems like it. I do. I do. And in fact, I did uh, my fitness gene. And I'm, oh, not, cool. I'm not here to uh, advocate it or, or tell you it works or doesn't work. But it did say that I had an elite gene for recovery. And oh, I don't have any other elite genes. I certainly didn't have the elite gene for speed. Um, but I have an elite gene for recovery. And so I'm very blessed in that way. I can train really hard. I can take a few hours. I can train really hard again. And we'll include the, the name of that product in the show notes. Um, I, I want to go through a few different recovery modalities just quickly, and you say whether or not you've used them or had good experiences. This is, speed, this is speed dating portion of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, especially on recovery. So uh, foam rollers. Yes, uh, not as much as I probably should because, again, I, I don't have any aches and pains, so I'm less motivated to. The foam rolling is good for you, and my trainers, uh, Andy Spear and Eric Krakowski, always encourage me to foam roll before a session. You ever use a vibrating roller versus a I roller? haven't yet. I've, I, I know of a few, but I haven't tried it yet. Uh, the Normatec. Have you heard of the Normatec? I have not. So these are uh, compression uh, sleeves that go on your legs and release air up and down. Uh, there's a lot of evidence that compression can be good <clears throat> for you. I do wear compression clothing. I wear Wallaco compression clothing, which is a oh, friend yeah, of I know Terry, Terry, Terry White's of brand. Yeah. Um, and so I do believe in compression, but I, primarily, I like compression because it makes me feel good, but I probably am the wrong person to opine as to whether it's actually therapeutic. How about uh, Hypervolt or Theragun? These are the I've, rapid... I've tried Theragun. Theragun's great, but you still need someone to do it. Right. So they, It's hard to do it to yourself. Yeah, I, I think you can do it to yourself in spots on your body, and that would be great, like your, your quads, for example. But for the bulk of your body, you're going to need someone else to do it. And at that point you may want to think about having a professional do it, at least occasionally understand that, especially if your insurance covers it. If your insurance doesn't cover, you're going to a chiropractor or a PT. I understand the limitations. Um, and Theraguns are expensive. It's an expensive device. Have you tried cryotherapy? 
I've not tried cryotherapy. I'm a little skeptical because it's you know, only several minutes. Not sure much happens in several minutes. Um, certainly ice baths are used for professional athletes all the time. Uh, I don't really have an opinion on it, but I think you can tell from my tone that I'm a little skeptical. Understood. Uh, how about uh, massage therapy generally? Uh, there's very little evidence that massage is good for you. There's a lot of evidence in my case that it makes you feel good. I like it. So you like so, it? I like it, and, and if you can find a massage therapist who's really like a PT, it can make, it can make a big difference. Uh, do you ever take cold showers, sauna, contrast therapy, anything like that? Yes, and there's a lot of evidence, recent evidence, that saunas are really good for you. In fact, my doctor... I've read some of that research. Yeah, too. Peter Atia, uh, who wrote the foreword to the book, who's arguably the leading researcher in nutrition and fitness and longevity, uh, believes strongly that you should take a 20-minute sauna three days a week. And I don't tend to have the time, or I guess my earlier comment, I suppose I have the time, perhaps not the inclination, to do 20 minutes three days a week, but I definitely try to take a 20-minute sauna one day a week. And there's lots of evidence that a hot sauna, it has to be hot, obviously. Will I mean, you do, uncomfortably hot. Uh, yeah, will, will you do anything in there, stretch or no, breathe or anything no, like that? No, and that's irritating to the people around you, yep. assuming there are people around you. I've also uh, tried higher dose of the infrared sauna. And um, what's nice about that is because the it warms your body not, and less so the air. In a conventional sauna, the, the temperature in the room may be 170, 180 degrees. In a, an infrared sauna, the temperature in the room may be 145 or 150 degrees. So the room is more comfortable. You can therefore spend more time in it, but you're getting the benefit, the full benefit of being in a sauna longer. And the session at higher doses, you, know, you have to clear out of the room in an hour, but the session is really 45 to 50 minutes in a sauna. That's I'm not intense. sure I feel the benefits. I, don't, I can't say to you, hey, I do that and I feel great. And pe- there are people who feel that way, but there is a, a good deal of evidence that there are benefits. Uh, have you ever done uh, cupping or Graston therapy or e-stim? I've done cupping. I think that's a waste of time and money and leaves very unpleasant marks on you. And there's no part of it that resonates with me at all. Um, I've done e-stim as part of a chiropractic chiropractic session. My chiropractor will, will actually put e-stim devices on your muscles as a, as a um, precedent to the rest of the session. Uh, there's a lot of evidence that it works. What, what doesn't work and you shouldn't think works is e-stim to build muscle. So there totally are, not. There is, a, there is a new class here in New York where you get into an e-stim suit and... Um, Oh, I've heard about this. And you actually do a, a, a training session for only 30 minutes, and the argument on the website is 30 minutes of training, and I, I, I sense, haven't done it, I sense that it's not super robust training, uh, with the E-STEM suit on is like a three-hour training session. <laughs> and then, of course, the website has all these pictures of people who have no body fat and washboard abs. And I, I, just, I just don't buy it. The experts I know don't buy it. And any website that shows you, you know, Exercise program, washboard abs, has left out a key element of washboard abs, which is diet. Diet, yeah. Uh, have you ever used uh, kinesthesiology tape? I do. My, uh, my chiropractor actually uses that all the time. I'm a little skeptical. Um, I'm skeptical of it, too. But I, but I do. He does use it. He believes in it. I, I, that falls in the category of it couldn't hurt. Right. right. There's, there's nothing wrong except when you have the skin exposed, it looks goofy. 
and I don't, I'm so used to looking goofy at this point, it's okay, I can live with it. Uh, let's talk about nutrition a little bit. One thing that you write, which I like a lot, is drinking lots of water may very well be the simplest thing you can do to improve your health. Yes, I mean, for any number of reasons. The first is if you drink a couple glasses of water before a meal, you're going to eat less. Uh, the second thing is your body needs water to survive. And there are lots of people who really don't drink a lot of water, probably are running around somewhat dehydrated all of the time. Now, all fluids will hydrate you. So coffee will hydrate you, even though it's got a bit of a diuretic effect. Um, anything that is fluid will hydrate you. It all counts. Uh, but water doesn't have calories. So um, drinking water is really good for you. And I start my day off by drinking about 16 ounces of water. Uh, and then I really focus on drinking water throughout the day. I, I advocate drinking a great deal of water. Sometimes I'm more or less successful. I drink an enormous amount of water. I always it means have. you have to run to the bathroom a lot. That's the only downside. Right. Um, but it's really healthy for you. And yeah, at the risk of being, uh, at the risk of giving you a visual, if your urine is any color at all, you're probably not drinking enough water. And if your urine is a is a is a dark color or even a semi-dark color, you are dehydrated, and you you're potentially really damaging your body. Totally. A buddy of mine had a terrible, terrible hospitalization because he trained really hard, he ate a really rigid diet with no carbs, and he wasn't hydrated enough. If you have an exceedingly low-carb diet, which I have mixed feelings about, and you're not careful about hydration, you can get in terrible trouble. Has your diet evolved a lot over the last five or ten years? Oh, yes. It's evolved hugely. And one of the ways uh, that it evolved is um, my doctor, Peter, was very gentle with me about encouraging me to eat a more healthy diet. So when I when I started going to him, I, I said to him, it's embarrassing to admit it, but I said, listen, I, you know, I have low body fat, I train with 20-year-olds, I'm in good shape, uh, I'm an athlete, and I'm super healthy. Please don't talk to me about my diet, because like, <laughs> that's the last thing that I have. I don't drink alcohol, you know, I don't misbehave. Please, just leave my diet alone. He was like, totally fine. And after I'd been working with him for a few months, he said, look, could you just talk to my nutritionist? Just talk to her. And I spoke to her, and she said, I don't want you to do anything different just keep a food diary for a week. So I kept a food diary, used an app called Fat Secret, which makes it very easy. And um, at the end of the week, I reflected on the, on the diary, and I realized that my food diary was that of a 10-year-old uh, let loose in a supermarket with an unlimited budget. And it had to change. It, was, it, it just had to change. And so I said, okay, tell me what to do, but I don't want, I don't want recipes because I cook, and I don't want meal plans because I won't observe them. Just give me guidelines. And they gave me a very simple set of guidelines, and those guidelines work work basically for anyone. And do you, do you ever do anything to shock the body? Will you ever do these intermittent intermittent fasting, or you know try to do something where you just completely take carbs out of your life? Or you're at a stage now where it's like you know the right categories, and you just try to abide by it. It's for me, it's the latter. But intermittent fasting is good for you, and if you're wired to be able to do it, you ought to do it. So, Peter will fast truly fast for five to seven days once every two months. All he has is water. Wow. You know, he's an exceedingly disciplined guy. He goes to the gym while he's doing it. I have no idea how he does it. I have no interest in trying. And my wife also would divorce me. But I said, <laughs> honey, for a week, uh, you're going to eat and I'm not going to eat. That, that would not work in our household. But even if it would work, I'm, I'm not wired to do that. So uh, is, what's he doing it for, by the way? Is he doing it to lose weight? No, he's, he's at a good weight. Uh, is he doing it to be more cut? Nope. 
he's actually not aesthetically driven particularly. He looks great, but it's just not one of the things he cares about. He is doing it because there's evidence that intermittent fasting, whether it's eating within a window or truly fasting the way he does, seems to have an effect on reducing the incidence of cancer. And if you're fortunate enough to live a long time and not have an accident, what's going to kill you? You know, heart disease cancer. or cancer. That's what's going to kill you today. Yeah. And those are the things that I'm the most at risk for, heart disease, which I talked about, and cancer. Um, one in four people will get cancer currently. And while there have been enormous strides made, cancer has not been cured. You're someone who travels a lot. Do you um, tweak anything to fight jet lag? I'm, I, I, I don't really. I, I, don't, I definitely don't believe you should stay up late and not sleep to get on a cycle. To the contrary, if you're tired, I think you sleep. Uh, and I'm not one of those people who re stays on their home time zone, although it's, if you're going to California, that's relatively easy to do, but I don't tend to do it. So I would say I suffer a little bit, but not greatly because I travel so much. I'm pretty used to it. And, I, and I, I'm a good sleeper. Any moving vehicle, I fall asleep. So as the plane is taxing up off the runway, I'm falling asleep, and I'll stay asleep for a while. That's a good habit. Do you have any uh, supplements that you like to take related to sleep? So things like melatonin, magnesium, anything like that? Uh, magnesium can be a good su supplement, especially if you're running the risk of dehydration. So, so is potassium. I don't tend to take either unless I'm on a cycling trip. And thankfully, I can fall asleep easily. I'm, I don't need any sleep aids. And you should be very, very careful about sleep aids like Ambien. Uh, there's a lot of evidence. Oh, yeah, that that's it, very different than just know, a supplement. Exactly. But even supplements, you'd be amazed at what's in a supplement. It's just an article I read in, I forget which publication. A lot of um, supplements actually have pharmaceuticals snuck into them. Uh, and the oh, F interesting. The FDA is struggling with that right now. So I, I would be, um, I'd be careful, but certainly you'd be very careful. You should be very careful about any kind of prescription sleep aid. Um, I'm not a doctor. I don't mean to prescribe anything. You should do what your doctor says. But I'm really nervous about drugs like Ambien. They interfere with REM sleep. And interfering with REM sleep is, is, a, is a prescription for poor health and a poor psyche. We've seen that as well with WHOOP data where people will go on Ambien and they'll have meaningfully different sleep cycles than when they get natural sleep. Now the challenge is they have trouble falling asleep in the first place. So that's what they're trying to balance. And for some people, though... Just powering through it works where you're, because eventually you get tired enough that you'll sleep. Uh, the problem is you'll have a couple bad days in the interim. Again, I'm not a doctor, and I'm sure there are some people who need medication. They should do what their doctor says. But my guess is that's a, a very small fraction of the number of people who actually avail themselves of prescription drugs. We've seen uh, meditation as an effective tool to help uh, decrease sleep latency, so how long it takes you to fall asleep. Do you ever practice meditation? Rarely, I do have a spiritual practice, so I pray in the mornings, which is a form of meditation. I don't tend to meditate at night. I think it would be good if I did, but I'm honest about these things. I'm a work in progress. Uh, meditation is something that's on my list of to do, but I'm not doing, and I understand what a list like that looks like. That A list of to do and I'm not doing is also a list of things I do not intend to do. So right. I know I should start swimming. I have a bathing suit. I have goggles. I know where the pool is, and I have the names of swim coaches. I'm not swimming. I think it's fair to uh, say that I'm not ready to start swimming yet. Let's do a couple of quick questions and then get you out of here. So, uh, one, who do you think of when you hear optimal performance? Who's the first person that comes to mind? 
While I don't subscribe to a lot of his views, I'd say Tom Brady, because he's an amazing athlete amazing, yeah. at, at, at an age when you wouldn't expect someone to be such an amazing athlete. Again, not sure I subscribe to his entire system, but he wouldn't subscribe to mine. But the proof is in the performance, and the performance is, is breathtaking. Stunning, yeah. Who are some of your influences from a health standpoint? You mentioned your doctor, obviously. Who are some other ones? That's such a great question. Um, my trainer, Eric, actually, Eric Krakowski, who, you know, Eric will, we sort of are each other's, uh, you know, we confess to one another our dietary sins, but he's super fit. He looks great. He's an amazing athlete. He's got a great attitude. And I, I guess even including the dietary lapses, you know, I would say he's someone that I admire because he, he's not a monk. He's not living, you know, he's not eating a perfect clean diet. He looks fantastic. He's really athletic, he, and he's got a smile on his face. And, and he does so with, you know, some imperfection in, in, in his life. But the, the effect of all the choices he's, he makes taken together, are, the effect is quite positive. Are, are you reading business books or fitness books or all the above? Or? I always read fitness stuff. I, you know, I'm, I'm mostly reading that online. So uh, muscleandfitness.com uh, is a great is site. Is that your favorite resource? Muscle and Fitness is a great resource. It's, it's edited by Zach Ziegler, who co-authored the book with me. And he, he, it's, the, the name of the publication implies sort of bodybuilding, but it isn't about that at all. It's about health and wellness. It's very smart. It's research-driven. It does not lie to you. It does not subscribe to the you know, washboard abs in three weeks uh, point of view, which, by the way, I don't think consumers are buying either anymore. I think, I think consumers are, are getting the memo, although you can still, you know, if you're, you're uh, surfing the web and you're reading a bunch of fitness articles, as I do, eventually you're going to get an ad served to you, which serves you up a pill you can take with a picture, a before and after picture of, you know, overweight individual who does not look his or her best before take this pill for 30 days fitness model after and and you know we're just we're humans we love to hear there's an easy <laughs> answer wow easy answer just take this pill it's not even that expensive no pills gonna do that for you. you you've had a great run in uh the entertainment industry what was the most impactful movie you put out or the most memorable one from your standpoint? Well, uh, I'm blessed. I've worked with amazing creative teams who've made uh, in enterprises I, I, I worked at the biggest hits in every form of entertainment there is. I can't and don't uh, take credit for any of those hits because I, I'm you know, what they call in the entertainment business a suit. <laughs> I'm not the creative guy. Um, so just with that proviso that I didn't make any of these titles, the first picture I, I greenlit was Dirty Dancing, um, which became the highest grossing film of all time. On my watch at Fox, we, we released Home Alone, Home Alone 2, Die Hard 2. And uh, on the music side, I, I had the pleasure of working with amazing artists like Dave Matthews and Whitney Houston uh, and many others. And in video games... Uh, within the Take-Two family, we have NBA 2K, Borderlands, Bioshock, and, of course, Red Dead Redemption and Grand Theft Auto. So I, these, are, these are titles that affect you know, tens, hundreds of millions of consumers. And while I say that you know, I'm not curing cancer for a living, you know, I, I, I work on making available to people light entertainment, I am proud of what I do, and there's something really rewarding about having even some small part in something that delights people, even if 
for only a brief period of time. Well, congratulations on your career, Strauss, and, uh, and thanks for doing this. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the fourth episode of the Whoop podcast. I'd like to thank Strauss for coming on and offering such amazing insight. Hopefully you guys get a lot out of that episode. If you're not already a member, you can join the Whoop community now for as low as $18 a month. We'll provide you with 24-7 access to your biometric data, as well as analytics across strain, sleep, recovery, and more. The membership comes with a free Whoopstrap 2.0. And for listening to this podcast, folks, if you enter the code Will Ahmed, that's W-I-L-L-A-H-M-E-D, at checkout, we'll give you 30 bucks off. So thank you for listening. Put 30 bucks on my tab. Get that free month, and hopefully you enjoy Whoop. Check out whoop.com slash the locker for show notes and more, including links to relevant topics from our conversation. You can subscribe, rate, and review the Whoop podcast on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or wherever you found this podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can find me online at Will Ahmed and follow at Whoop on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also email thelocker at whoop.com with any thoughts, ideas, or suggestions. For our current members, we've got a lot of new gear in the Whoop store. I suggest you check that out. It includes 6, 12, and 18-month gift cards, help you save over time. We've got new bands, new colors, new textures. Visit whoop.com for more. Thank you again for listening to the Whoop podcast. We'll see you next week.